Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name is Benjamina Abwehi, and my cookbook is A Good Day to Bake. I'm not someone who needs an excuse to bake. First line in the cookbook, and it's funny because I find baking so hard. Going through the ritual of bringing out your measuring scales, pouring out flour, etc. You call a beautiful thing, and I so envy that. Talk a little bit about the messages you received from people who nailed a technique or discovered how therapeutic baking can be. It's so beautiful and just so rewarding hearing how baking can be that thing for so many people, especially, you know, over the last few years that the whole world has had, that baking has been something that they've been able to turn to, to unwind as a distraction and to just kind of switch off from the world. And so to be able to play just a small part in that has been really, really rewarding. You've said lining the tin, greasing the sides, chopping up butter to weigh out. Those little steps just feel really, really soothing. Um, did the pandemic lockdown help you realize this or did you always find this process soothing? Subconsciously, I'd always found that quite soothing, more that the processes of, of baking and, you know, not not so much as the end steps, but just the little bits in between to get there. But the pandemic, I think, definitely allowed me to almost step back and be able to articulate that and, and spot it in others and in myself a lot more. Just having a time in our lives where we were able, everyone just kind of was forced to slow down um, in so many areas of their life. I think the pandemic really helped me just to to just see those small little moments, those small little rituals and habits that we do and just really appreciate them on such a different level. Would you please read the first paragraph on page nine, starting with there's often a moment? Of course. There's often a moment in most recipes where I have a little pause to take it all in. It could be that split second just before you pour ganache over your chocolate cake or smoothing the batter in the pan right before it goes in the oven. It could be that fleeting moment where you feel the full weight of your knife as it sinks into your cake for the first slice or the few seconds you take to admire the sheer volume and silkiness of your meringue. It's those brief but meaningful steps of a recipe that are unwritten but can feel the most rewarding. The moments that make you say, yes, I'm doing this right and this feels good. I feel like this cookbook sort of, for me, redefines the art of baking. Oh, that's, I love to hear that. (laughs) Um, I think I would agree. And that was partly my intention. And I think that kind of came across. It wasn't, you know, what I sought out to do straight away in the beginning. But as I was writing and as I was developing, I think that kind of came across more and more. Just really wanting people to not be so, I guess, maybe obsessed with the end result or fixated on what it looks like and you know because when you do that you just get so disheartened if it doesn't work if it doesn't look the way it does in the picture or you know it's just not Instagram perfect Um, but I really wanted to just remind people that the the steps and the processes to get there are just as if not more important and you can learn more from the processes sometimes more than than what you get at the end and so just wanting people to approach it in a different way and just really enjoying each step, focusing on everything that you're doing, the little things, the flavor that you're putting in, um, the time and the energy that you're putting in, rather than, you know, what does it look like at the end? In the cookbook you wrote, 
peeling ribbons of parsnips, scooping out the seeds of squash, pulling back the thick skin of plantain are small but necessary steps that I like to be fully present for in anticipation of what's to come. The idea of being present is interspersed throughout this cookbook. Can you talk a little bit about that? With cooking and baking, it's such an all-consuming thing. I mean, cooking especially, I guess, you know, it's something we have to do. If you want to eat, we've got to cook. And just with the pressures of modern life, it's just so easy just to rush our way through all of that. Um, and so just reminding ourselves to be present in in moments of baking and cooking, I think just allows us to appreciate things in such a different way. And sometimes, you know, I said that it sounds really cheesy, you know, just appreciate the small things. But I think it just makes us more fully aware of our surroundings, of what we're doing, of why we're doing what we're doing. You know, I can be peeling veg and be just sometimes even just thinking about what I'm grateful for that day. Um, it's just such a nice time just to really, really slow down and I guess, yeah, appreciate the small things. I was interested to see that your very first chapter is entitled Herbs and Teas. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And how did that come to be the very first chapter? Flavor has always been kind of number one for me. And I knew that I wanted to um, have the chapters set up by flavor. So we've got herbs and tea and chocolate and spice. But also in a, I guess, more quieter way, wanted it to reflect seasons almost. So the herbs and tea chapter to me feels quite fresh and quite spring-like, you know, the earlier parts of the year. And I guess we go into summer with the stone fruits and berries and then more into autumn with the vegetables and the beige and chocolate and that sort of thing so I wanted to start with something that was really light and fresh and I guess new in a way spring is always you know associated with newness and blossoming and so that's kind of the tie-in that I wanted to, to bring to that first chapter. Could you describe your Earl Grey orange and white chocolate tray bake? So I love this cake. Earl Grey is one of my favorite teas. It's so um, floral and fragrant. And it's like, it's a tea that I choose at about three or four o'clock in the afternoon when I want something sweet. And this cake is, it's really light. It's not, it's not a heavy kind of overly buttery sponge cake. It's made by um, whisking up eggs. So it's a really light whisk sponge. And I love infusing tea into cakes, into anything that I'm baking with. I mean, it's just such an easy way to incorporate more flavor without doing lots and lots. And so we steep some Earl Grey tea into our milk and then that gets um, folded into the batter and that's where a lot of the Earl Grey flavour comes from. And the orange um, sort of complements the bergamot flavours in Earl Grey and so you've got a really nice zesty but warm flavoured cake. Um, and once it's baked, it gets steeped with an Earl Grey orange syrup and that keeps it moist as well. And the white chocolate buttercream just brings a creaminess that kind of cuts through some of that floral citrusy flavour and just sort of ties the whole thing together. So it's, yeah, it's a cake that I really, really love. So carrot cake is your first love. What mm. is the key to great carrot cake? For me, great carrot cake needs a good amount of spice. I think I've had so many carrot cakes where I'm just not getting much flavor. And I think it's a cake that can take a lot more spice than maybe we think, and not just cinnamon. So I love using cloves. I love using ginger, a bit of cardamom, some black pepper. Um, it's a cake that can definitely take a lot of spice. So I like a spiced carrot cake. I like a chunky carrot in my carrot cake. I don't like it grated too fine. I like something that brings texture. So a good coarse grated carrot 
is a top tip for a good carrot cake. And of course, you need a cream cheese frosting for a carrot cake. I don't want any buttercream. It has to be a cream cheese frosting, but also something that's not too sickly sweet. You want it just to to not overpower the flavour of the spices. So something just mellow to bring it all together. Yeah, and I'm not someone who likes nuts in my carrot cake as well, which is a no bit controversial. Some people love a nutted carrot cake. I know. I just like my nuts on top. I don't like it chopped through. I know it's a bit bit of a strange one. <laughs> that is funny because you like bigger pieces of carrot, but not mm. nuts. Yeah, I find sometimes nuts distracting for a carrot cake when it's in the batter. So I like my nuts like on top of the cream cheese. Distracting. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, So you have a full chapter devoted to spices, and you talk about how vanilla is the second most expensive spice in the world, but it gets a bad rap for being boring. I don't think of vanilla as boring at all. It's funny because when I chat to like, you know, food friends or people who are really into baking and cookbooks, vanilla is not necessarily seen as boring to them. But I think for the vast majority of people, vanilla is always seen as plain. It's the safe choice. It's just, you know, something that you kind of throw into everything just because you think it should be there. Um, And so I wanted a cake that was like, yeah, vanilla is the front and centre of this cake. We're going to use really good vanilla pods to get the very best flavour and, yeah, just celebrate it in the sponge, in the Swiss meringue buttercream where you can see the flecks of vanilla come through and just really celebrate a, a spice that is used day in and day out by bakers absolutely everywhere, but just having it completely front and center and not kind of, you know, hidden away. There's nothing better than seeing those flecks of vanilla. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, you see that and you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be into something really good. Speaking of something really good, there's something about beige food that makes us all mm-hmm. think of comfort. Yeah. You say it's always a good day to bake something beige. Oh, beige food, brown food, it's, I think, just unanimously known as comfort. It's its the food that you want to bake again and again or cook again and again. Something about it just feels so unpretentious. It's not trying to be something else. It's not trying to be kind of dolled up and made fancy. It's that kind of homely, comforting, something your mum would make or your grandma would make. And it just warms your belly and makes you smile. Um, So beige food for me is just, yeah, it's that good, comforting, homely, nostalgic sort of food that we all, all love. And the only problem with it is it's not Instagrammable. Yes. I found (laughs) (laughs) Yes, not Instagrammable, but we all know that it's going to taste amazing. Can you just chat a little bit about how you celebrate unlikely ingredients and how they show up in this cookbook, like the plantain? So, oh, the plantain fennel quiche recipe is another one that I really, I mean, I love all the recipes, but there are a few that really just, you know, kind of stand out. And that is one of them. Um, I think I've made it a mission to include plantain in every cookbook that I ever write. It's an ingredient that we've, you know, grown up eating at home from a Nigerian background. And it's just, it's a staple in our kitchen. We have it all the time. And so I really wanted to include it in a way that was, I guess, different than the way that we kind of grew up eating it or like my family would be used to having it and just showing its versatility and how much it can be used in so many different recipes and so having it in a quiche was just so my mum saw it and she was like a quiche with plantain what on earth is that going to be like but she really really loves that recipe and my aunt loves it too just that sweetness of the plantain against the the kind of cheesy and aniseed fennel filling just works absolutely well yeah just bringing it in in a way that 
doesn't feel too different. Over the weekend, I made your recipe for blueberry and lemongrass pavlova on page 58. You say it's the smell of sunshine. I love that. (laughs) Can you describe this recipe? Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. I've said that about all of them, but this is a good (laughs) one. I mean, pavlova is honestly one of my favorite desserts. If I'm having people around, um, I'm going to do a pavlova Christmas. I'm going to do a pavlova summer, Easter. I'm making a pav. But this one is a special one. And I love pavlova because you can remix it so easily. You can switch out what toppings you want. So once you've got the base down, you know how to do the meringue it's really fun to switch it up. So for this one, I really wanted a recipe with lemongrass and I had tested so many different ways to incorporate it and nothing was quite working or fitting with what I had in mind. Um, And so I ended up making this blueberry and lemongrass. It started off as a jam um, that I was going to use in something else, but I just, it just was far too sticky. It just didn't quite fit with what I had. And so I kind of made it more as a, I guess, a compote, a filling and I had some leftover meringues from something else and it just, I ate it together and it was just wonderful. So honestly, the smell of lemongrass is one of my favourite scents. And I said it smells of sunshine because to me, it honestly really, really does. It's so bright and it's just so like zingy and fresh and it just, you can't smell it and not want to smile. And so it gets cooked down with some blueberries and you just leave it to infuse and then you kind of spoon it onto your meringues with some cream. And it's just such a fresh and delicious dessert. So I really love this one as well. (laughs) So last year I had Nigella on um, my cookbook podcast and she inspired me to make my first pavlova. And she normally makes one big one, but I love that your recipe is for six individual. Yeah, I do love an individual pavlova one because it means you get one all to yourself. (laughs) Um, Also, it's just (laughs) sometimes a pavlova can be too big and also it can be quite intimidating if, you know, for people who haven't really made a lot of meringues, when you're doing one big one, it just feels like everything is going to go wrong. But when they're smaller, it just feels a lot more manageable and you can make them whatever shape you want and they do cook a little bit quicker as well. So I do like um, individual meringues when I'm making them for for a small group. In the acknowledgements, I thought it was sweet that you thanked your Instagram community. Honestly, I feel like everyone should because, yeah, the Instagram community is absolutely wonderful. I know for some people it can be really up and down, but personally, it's just been such a great experience on there. And those are the people who who make your recipes, who give you feedback, who tell you what worked and what didn't work and who inspire you with new things. Um, I am inspired by so many people on Instagram with just ideas and styling and how what they're doing. And yeah, these are the people who, who support and who buy the cookbooks. And so it would have been insane of me to not, to not thank them. They are um, a massive part of, of what I do and I wouldn't be able to do a lot of what I do without community on Instagram. So yeah, they are wonderful. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask Mm -hmm. you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. 
but it has to be the Queen Nigella. It has to. I've never met her before, but just so inspired by her and all the incredible books and recipes and writing that she's done. Yeah, she's a huge, huge inspiration. And I just, I just her demeanor. She just seems just so kind. Like if I met her, she would actually be incredibly just kind and warm. Um, and she'd give me lots of good advice. So that's someone I'd love to be able to cook for. Where can we find you on the web and social media? So I'm on Instagram um, and my handle is at Baked by Benji. That's where most of the fun happens over on Instagram. And also my blog, carrotandcrumb.com, where I post some recipes and bits and bobs like that. So yeah, it's where to find me. To purchase a good day to bake, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thanks so much, Benjamina, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you for having me. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.